All right, Luke chapter 14, verse 15. The parable of the Great Supper. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord. Now we've heard the word one accord before, talking about the disciples, and talking about the followers of Jesus in Acts, and in, especially in Acts, because Acts we find more talk about community, connectedness, one spirit, one-mindedness, and God's movement. We see God's movement in people that even causes them to group up and cluster up in one place in Jerusalem so much that they don't go out to the world. When, when persecution comes, it sends them out to the world because they, just to be honest, they loved each other so much. That, that's a gospel or a story of great community. And so as they were split out to all the world, they even stayed in like minds in small clusters all around, and that's the beginning of the church. We hear about one accord as they pray together, they meet together, they eat together, they have church together, they go to synagogue together, and they do their Lord's, or the, the remembrance supper, the Lord's supper together. Here we hear one accord in a different way. And they all with one accord against what God wanted or what the Lord, their Lord, their King had wanted began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go test them. I ask you to have me excused. How many people test oxen during an evening banquet? I'm just assuming it's afternoon or evening. But having grown up on a farm, it just doesn't make good sense. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I would have looked at him and said, what are you doing here? So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The servant said, Master, it's already done as you've commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel or make them come to you, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. Now, let me just start with this. Number one, God wants to build a family. It is his major concern to build a family and draw people into oneness, into banquet, into connectedness and community together. He wants us to be at the table with them. He wants us all to be in one mind. He wants us all to be in one spirit. Now, I'm not talking about the Tapestry Church. I'm talking about the Church Universal. This morning, we're demonstrating a little bit of this kind of thinking by sending a team over to another church to help them when they need to go rest and their pastors and leaders need to go somewhere. We're like, take a vacation. You know, we'll help. We'll serve at our cost and our sacrifice. That is the mindedness and the like-mindedness of the kingdom of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what God wants. He wants there to be this enormous family. I'm telling you guys, I do too. How many people want to go to heaven alone? Just thought it'd be cool. Me and you, God, right? How cool would it be to spend the rest of eternity saying, holy, 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 all by yourself? Do you want to jump up and down and sing praises to His glory? 
by yourself? How many of you want to do that? How many of us want to do it with a crowd? Maybe just even a small crowd. Medium crowd? A large crowd? How about an entire crowd of multiple cultures and multiple backgrounds and multiple styles and multiple ways? And then one person calls out someday, Hey, you know what? Let's sing his praise this way. And somebody over here says, Hey, I bet we could do holy, holy, holy to electric guitar. Hey, I bet we could do this. And there's all of this stuff going on. And somebody says, Can we chant holy, holy, holy? Can we light candles to it? That gets exciting. Now, I know that's probably not how heaven's going to actually be. But it can be like that here. Are you getting what I'm saying? I get kind of bored with style, by the way, too. God wants a family. All styles. All backgrounds. All nations. All tongues. All colors. You know what would be so cool? Is they have like 250 screens. Have every known UN country on the screen singing praises at the same time in all different language, languages and styles. How cool would that be? You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of family God wants. So it's not maybe possibly the kind of family we understand as family, but God wants a family. And the thing that's, that's going on now is we have to ask ourselves, how are they going to hear? How are they going to even become a part of the family unless someone invites them? And that brings me to one of my favorite verses. Let's look at Romans 10, 13. Romans 10, 13 through 14. Romans 10, 13 through 14 says, oh, by the way, and I think one of the styles is going to have like electric guitar with a grunge pedal. <laughs> Don't you think? Just, <clears throat> in my generation, it just feels right to sing. You know, something like that, screaming angst. I got you to smile a little bit. Thank goodness. I thought you guys were dead out there. We have a live crowd. Awesome. 10-13. Like Lincoln Park. You know, 13. For whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. 14. And then shall they call on him. Or no, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? How, they, how can they call? How can they believe? How can they hear? What if they're not sent? In the church today, I think there's a little disconnection with this whole concept. It just makes sense that someone can't call on God's name if they've never heard of God's name. And they've never believed. And someone can't believe in God unless they've actually heard the message of the gospel. And someone can't hear the message of the gospel unless someone actually goes being sent and driven by God, and backed by church, and relationships, and all of the kingdom and heaven and angels behind them. Do you get what I'm saying? Maybe, possibly, it's not good enough just to do kind acts anymore. Alone. Maybe, possibly, servanthood all by itself is not good enough. Maybe, just doing good stuff without preaching some message 
or conveying some words or testimony or story is not going to do it anymore. Maybe we're so without a gospel message in our world that people have no framework. They can't automatically go, Oh, they're the church. They love God, whose son is Jesus, who died on a cross so that I could be free from sin and go backwards and break it down and have an understanding of what all it means. I think people understand what the church is, possibly, but they have no clue who Jesus is, nor his message any longer. We cannot simply go and do good stuff. Satan would have us come up with better ideas to do good stuff. New styles, new ways, and new, new concepts. But God wants us to share a message as we go. Yes, we should go and use new styles, new ways, new stuff. The message must and will always change to reach people. However, get this, the message never changes. The message is always the same. And listen, they will never hear the message, be able to believe, and call on Jesus Christ and join our awesome family unless they hear the gospel. So someone's got to say something. Do you get what I'm saying? No more quiet Christianity anymore. Some people in their minds think, well, Christianity is a quiet relationship. You know, me and Jesus... We meet together in my closet and we pray a lot. That's awesome. Not discounting prayer. I, ha- I happen to have a closet as well. I have three. One's my favorite, and I love spending time with Jesus there. I spend, actually, I'm not kidding. I have three prayer closets. You should have one. So, anyways, I have a couple I get into. Yeah, it makes it tough on clothes. I had to buy these clothes things from Ikea. Put them in my basement near my washing machine so I could actually hang my stuff up. I'm really not kidding. That's what's funny. You think I'm kidding? In college, I gave up my bedroom so I could have a closet. I'm not kidding. I used to tell folks, God's in my closet. They didn't believe me. People got saved in my closet because they didn't believe me. You guys, God number one is real. And number two, he's in my closet. So anyway, with that said, I'm just kidding. He's here with us. He's with us everywhere we go. But um, I do have three closets, and I dare you to have one. So in... I think it's wonderful that you spend time in your closet and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. However, I challenge your personal relationship with Jesus Christ if it never gets out in the public. I challenge it. I have to wonder how much you really know and love Him. Not being ill. I love you guys. I'm just being real. I have to challenge. Because let me tell you something. Jesus was never quiet about us. Jesus never stepped out when it came to us. And when it came to the cross and nails and people spitting, and whipping, and bloodshed, and falling, and persecution, and blame being put on him, and all the activity that took place around him in that crucifixion. There was not one part that was private. It was all public demonstration of his love for us. Right? That's pretty important to remember. Listen to this. You know, you may think in your mind of an excuse, I'm just not able. Check out this story. This kid named... Roger Hester. In a small town in central Texas, a boy was born with severe physical defects. As he grew up, he had very little muscle control over his legs and arms. He can't hear, but he can read lips well and is a Christian who actively shares his faith. When he was in high school, he gave out little cards the size of business cards. Came up with an idea. Gave out little business cards. Instead of his name and his address, The card had his testimony on it. It said, Hi, I'm Roger Hester. I'm sorry that I cannot talk to you, but I can understand anything you say. Would you allow me to share something with you? I grew up in a Christian home, 
but it wasn't until I was 12 years old that I became aware that I was a sinner. I knew that God loved me in spite of my handicap because he helped me to cope with it. I even thank God for my handicap in that. In November of 1976, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I have put him first in my life. My life since then has been great. God has helped me and continues to be with me always. I'd like to share my happiness with you. You too can ask Jesus to come into your heart and become a Christian. I've got a booklet I'd like to share with you. It is yours to keep and to study. If you want to read it aloud, I'll go through it with you right now. Otherwise, I hope you'll take time to read it later on today. Roger Hester. Roger didn't major on his cans. He majored on his cans. Oftentimes we want to say, well, it's because of this, 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 or this. I don't share the gospel. I don't even know the gospel. Guess what, guys? Before you leave here today, you're going to hear it. There's no excuse. Right? I challenge us. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Let's do this quick. How many people in here are believers? Don't raise your hand. Just check with your heart. You should know this. Romans 3.23. You should write it down if you don't have it written down yet. You know what I do? I take a Bible and I write in the front, turn to page whatever, for this one be 13.99, and then at 13.99 it says, for all of sin, and it's highlighted. And then I highlight Romans 3.23, and at the bottom of the page I put, turn to page, and then I put the next one of these, and I give people a roadmap through the Bible to learn how to accept them, because people often want Bibles. They very rarely want to hear the full gospel presentation, right? I've led people to Jesus because of that. I've led a lot of people to Jesus in my time. I do what I'm preaching today. I practice what I preach. I would not preach it if I didn't. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So the first thing that we need to recognize is, is you know, people in the world existing today, we've all fallen short of God's glory. You know what? That sounds like bad news. Heck no, it's good news when you recognize it because then you can take... Step two, when you recognize that you have fallen short, things that you have done aren't good enough. All of a sudden, you want more. Let's turn to Romans 6.23. Well, Romans 6.23 is not going to give us a remedy, but we're going to read it anyway. Romans 6.23 says, let's just hammer it on in on us, believers. This would be 14.02, and I'd put at the top, the wages of sin. And at the bottom, I put, turn the page, I put the next page. It's an idea. You can try it. 623 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At this point, people having realized they're sinners need to understand that there is a wage to pay, just like justice. When we do wrong, there's a price to pay. We, having been born into a sinful world, having sinful actions, must pay a wage. The good news in the back side of this verse is, is that there's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the next part's going to help us a little further towards that goal of, of peace. Some folks will say, hey man, I've not broken any big laws or rules. And I'll say, have you broken one of the Ten Commandments? And they'll say, no. Okay, so maybe you haven't killed, but have you wanted to kill? Well, yeah, man, there's this dude in my work I'd like to kill. You know? I'm like, oh, okay. Easy there, boy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Breathe. 
Lamaze, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, so then there are other people who say, no, there's nobody. I love everybody. I'm a very peaceful person. And then I ask them, okay, well, have you ever had an affair? No. Well, have you ever thought bad about somebody toward that direction? Person or a picture? Uh, that's right. Go ahead. Jesus said that even when we think these things, we have done it. You broke a law. You're going to die. There's good news. Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of a sudden, there's good news and hope. There's this big rift in between us and God. It's a huge valley, a precipice stands in between. But there seems to be something inside the cross that is going to build a bridge to get us together with Him. Then I turn to John 3.16. Anybody need to turn there? Okay. Does anybody want to quote it for me? Go ahead. It's the part where you talk. And that is one accord. <laughs> he died for us while still we were in sin. God the Father sent His Son, and He died for us. He didn't hold us in that sin, as the next passage says, but He wanted to come and not condemn us, but free us from it. That is great news. Gospel comes from the root of, like, gossip. And it's all about this talking rapidly, sharing just drastically fast and quickly this great or good news. It's good news that Jesus came. It's good news that Jesus has come to give us freedom. And we know that even through the rest of the New Testament, He didn't come to put laws in front of us to follow more laws or rules. He literally put them in our hearts mounted them in our souls as the Old Testament said that He would so that now, by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit, the flesh ever dying, and we start to go through this process of sanctification where we don't even desire to do the old things anymore. All of a sudden you find out it's not about your works inside of Jesus. It's a grace thing. He starts to take the desires away and give you new desires, Christ-like desires inside of his heart. That's awesome. Isn't it good news to know that you don't have to work hard to be a Christian? You don't have to give up all this stuff that's great. Actually, you're giving up all this stuff that's not great. You're getting something even better. It costs your entire life. Don't let me lie to you. The sacrifice is everything and eternal. It costs everything you are because he gave everything he was. And it's worth it. Let me tell you this, inside of this part, I've never had more fun since I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was six. <laughs> okay, some people are laughing. You people are really good today. There you go. I was six years old, I became a believer. And I really didn't do anything bad. My testimony is really non-existent. And that I didn't do anything crazy or wild. You know, I just didn't have it in me. Not when Jesus came. But let me tell you this, my testimony is a lot in this, that Jesus can keep you in 
as well. Shot a straight line. I'm the guy who may have been great at sports but stayed out of the public cool crowd. I'm the guy that never, I never had sex until marriage. I'm the guy who kept my nose clean. I'm the guy who didn't do anything really wild or crazy except bungee jump over a lake in South Africa, lead a bazillion people to Jesus over time, get to go all over the world and travel all kinds of places. And guess what, guys? I've met the coolest people and shared the gospel with them, including like Lincoln Park. Yes, I have. And other people like that. Let me tell you something. You think it's boring? Bullarchy. This part is awesome, but it costs everything up front. I've had more fun I have mountain climbed. I have done crazy junk all over. I've seen sites. You should see my Facebook. I got a little map up there. And I haven't even finished putting all the places I've been to on it. In Jesus. I'm the kind of guy, I know the Marines have this saying that they go places, they meet exciting new people, they go to exciting new places, and they kill them. They kill the people. That's one of the sayings. I'm not kidding. It's, it's like an ingoing joke. And um, there's a friend of mine told me that. I was like, that's, that's great. So you're signing up for the Marines. Woohoo! I get to go exciting new places, meet exciting new people, and I get to bridge a gap and share a message that goes deep in men's souls and allows them to know our Jesus. I've been in places that I could, I've nearly been killed a few times too, but it's worth it. All right? Now, moving on. Romans 10, 9, and 10. This is where it gets good. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. Oh man, Jesus. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two parts to this thing. Confess. We can't keep it quiet any longer. It's an eternal, constant confession of Jesus. Eternal, constant, everyday, vocal, out loud, lived, quiet, silent, loud, I don't care, confession of Jesus Christ and all that we are exudes from us. We are Jesus fanatics, Jesus freaks, Jesus lovers, Jesus people, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All Jesus. <laughs> And then if you believe, belief is an interesting thing we'll talk about in a second as we start to head this home. I just want to finish this concept of the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is probably the most important part of this presentation to anyone, and there's a reason. Because with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, if people don't get this, they get off in sects and cults. This is what I share with friends and family. I've shared this with family who are Jehovah's Witnesses and they've come to know Jesus Christ. That's right. I've had family that were Jehovah's Witnesses. Strong, staunch builders of the one, the one that was in Statesville. I said, one, because we prayed that bad boy down. And it can be done. You just have to have a concerted effort. You have to pray. And you have to be on your knees every day at 6 a.m. Just kidding. I'm not giving you a prescription. You've got to have a heart for it. <laughs> People are taking notes on this stuff. You're scaring me. Don't listen to everything I say. I'm joking. So, but you've got to be concerted and have a heart for it. And so Ephesians 2.8.9 sets us apart. Jehovah's Witnesses can't do anything with this. Mormons can't either. 
I love messing with Mormons because they don't know that I know everything they know. Because there's a lot of stuff they know they don't tell us. Baptisms for the dead. What is that? You know, I can tell you later. It's a whole other sermon. All kinds of craziness. They are not good little Christians. Love their hearts. I'm glad some of them are nice people. They're family-oriented. They look good. They don't get this passage. If you're a Mormon Jehovah's Witness out there today, listen to this on an MP3 later. You don't get this. Listen up. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By the way, this isn't even in the, um, this isn't even in the, the Bible that the Jehovah's Witnesses read, the New World Translation. So I challenge Jehovah's Witnesses always when I share this to get a King James Version because they use it for outreach to trick Christians. Right? Listen. And I say, read Ephesians 2.8.9 in the King James Version because then they say, well, I, I believe everything in the King James Version. You do? Awesome. Turn to Ephesians 2.8.9. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Did you get that? Not of works. Door knocking won't get it done. Pamphlets won't get it done. By the way, trade them pamphlets. Show witnesses. Trade them Sunday school material for their pamphlets and get them kicked out of the evangelism team. Funny. Seriously. They can't take your stuff. They can give their stuff away. They can't take your stuff. So give them something. It's just fun. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Not pamphlets. Not door knocking. Not activity. Listen. Not servanthood. Churches. Lest anyone should boast. There's no one that can walk into the presence of our Jesus Christ in heaven and go, look what I did for you. There's no one that can walk into the presence of our Father God even now or in heaven and say, God, look what I've done for you. There's no one that can even be near the Holy Spirit's presence or the very glory and presence of God that can say, God, can you see what I'm doing for you? Because His presence is holy. His person is righteous. His literal being is filled with every characteristic and personality that we don't have, we only will ever have with grace by Him. We have no right. And everything we do from here on is not saying that we have earned our faith. It's saying, thank you God that you gave it to me for free. Thank you God that you loved me before I loved you. Thank you that you loved me when I spit on you, when I pierced your hands and feet, and when I nailed you to that cross. It's all dung, Paul said, compared, compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ. And now the Bible also says that we're to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. It's not finished once you present and once somebody believes. There's a discipleship process that has to take, take part from here on. Listen. It must be a scary thing to have to work out your salvation because it is supposed to take fear and trembling to get it done. So we shouldn't leave people at this point of, I just prayed a prayer. That's not right. That's not salvation. Salvation is a life. It is a race. It is not a point. It is a line. It is a relationship with Christ. It is that when we walk into His presence, He is able to say, Hey, you good worker, I love you. I know you. Come on in. We have to stay in a constant knowing of Him and He has to constantly know us. That's a relationship. How many people want to be married to a person that never talks to you? 
God wants people not only to talk to him but to listen. There's got to be some coming and going communication. Do you get what I'm saying? Knowing him is not mental assertion. Knowing him is being known by him and having communication with him. You get it? It's a scary thing. Eternity is a scary thing. Heaven and hell. You know, we don't preach hell enough. We don't. People are like, yeah, go out and preach that to the non-believers. No, I'm not. Because hell is already an eternal reality for them starting here. I want to preach it to the church. I want to preach hell to the Christians again. I want to let them know it's a hot place. It's where death happens. It's horrible. It's eternal damnation. It is worms that don't die. And actually, that could be translated soul, so don't, you know, don't quote me on the worm diet not fighting us. No, souls don't die there. Demons don't die there. Satan won't die there. They will eternally be in a position of death. It is an eternal reality of death. Burning, pain, torment, weeping, screaming, gnashing of teeth, ripping of flesh, rotting, stench. You can't even imagine. One time while I was praying, when God first put evangelism in my bones, he gave me a picture of hell. I don't know if it's what hell's like. I'm not going to tell it to you today. It made me weep and it has affected me. It messed me up in the head. Probably burned out a couple brain cells. And hell's not just then and later. It's now. It's present reality. It's this present darkness. Have you ever heard of that book by Frank Peretti? I challenge you to read it. And I'm starting to bring this home, so please hear me. We're not going to hang out here all day. But it's angels and demons doing their stuff here and now all around us. The demons are using people and so are the angels. They're walking with people. Angels aren't using people. They're walking with people. They're doing God's work. God's messengers, God's workers, God's protectors. Even the people that open up paths so God's spirit can come and move, do what it needs to do. Opens up so people like us can be messengers. We should be more aware of the angelic presence of God around us all the time. But they're also demons, and they're very real. And I'm not going to get off into demons and stuff because I don't like them. If you've been around them much or dealt with them much, you wouldn't like them either. But they're always around us. If you read that book, it's not, it's fiction. It's not nonfiction. But it'll give you an idea of what it kind of could be like. I believe it is like. And those things use people. And people that are not believers, their reality of life is filled with demonic, satanic, hell. If you're not eternally living, you are eternally dying. And that empty void inside your heart is rotting your soul. It's depressing. It's emptiness. It's death. I don't need to preach that to people that don't know Jesus. I need to preach that there's a hope of being filled. I want to preach that to the church. So the church starts thinking, I've got to do something with this story of Jesus. Can you imagine living not knowing what's going on around you every day? Pretending that it's just hunky-dory, nothing's wrong, got a good job, got a good car, got a good house, got a good wife, got a good baby. I'm good. There's more. Right now, our co-workers, fellow students, friends, family, and so on are being bounced around from movement to movement, problem to problem, situation to situation, despair to despair, and we must do something about it. The blood will be on our hands in the end if we don't. It's already on our hands right now. 
if we've chosen not to. What we need is an outbreak of infectious, passionate Christianity that drives us by the glory of God to share with everyone around us. I don't know if you've seen the out movie Outbreak. Have you seen it? It's very interesting to me, the whole thing about where the outbreak starts and the monkey, you know, spits on a guy. He gets people infected. Another guy gets scratched. It goes to somebody else. And then the monkey literally goes out and then gets in the, somehow gets in, I think, drinks from the water system or something. And they do this map of what will happen to the United States in just 48 hours. And it's, and the entire United States is covered with red dots. And this sickness or disease has been generated by the defense or, you know, Department of Defense or whatever in the movie, and, and it, it's going to wipe out the entire United States. Okay, let me go somewhere else with this. Christianity should be infectious. It should go viral. I heard Greg, Greg Steer of Dare to Share talk about this. I want to give people credit when credit's due. And I heard the concept that Christianity should be viral. That got in my bones, and I've gone rampant with it. I think it should be infectious. It should get from one person to another just by contact, by the air that they breathe around us. That we can't help but share the story of Jesus even when we're in the midst of the computers being down and we're like, thank you, Jesus. Because we recognize it was Him that brought that thing back up on Thursday. Like I told you in my own testimony. Thank you, Jesus. My boss heard that. He needs to hear that. Everybody needs to hear that out of me. We literally need to be driven by the Spirit of God. I don't believe this is going to become out, out virally infectious in Christianity unless the glory of God comes, and that's where I'm going to finish this up. The glory of God has got to get involved for this to really happen. It's just not going to happen. We need God's glory to drive us, to radiate from us, to drive the lost to God, to change things that are externally around us, and to establish the kingdom around us while we're doing it. I just named off a lot of stuff, so you'll have to get the CD or MP3 later. We need healings, signs and wonders, miracles, salvation, the peace of God, and whatever else. Things that we walk in here at our church that we constantly do, that we do on missions, we do in our backyard, that we live in. Guys, healings, miracles, signs and wonders, it's not something I talk about much in that I don't talk about it in my sermons a lot, but I just do it. It's who I am and it's what I live and You hear what happens around us all the time. We see healings all the time. I've seen people healed of cancers, kidney infections, bleeding bleeding out where doctors couldn't heal them. They're going to die, rupturing, um, double colostomy on their deathbed. Doctor gave them two weeks, healed, both saved, husband and wife. I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff like that. We need that kind of experience of the glory of God, not for us in the church. It's not to make us fat and sassy. We need it because we need the great glory of God to come back to the world. To show the world that He is alive in us, around them, and He cares enough to get involved in their external circumstances. Do you get what I'm saying? We need Him. I believe that young people will get this faster than the old people because you guys are listening. You're in. You guys are like, get your eyes. I watch you guys. You know, our eyes are just like that. This is our hope. Now, Stuart's here today. I didn't know you were going to be here today, so I was going to credit you, but I'm going to credit you anyway. He told me about one of his pastors back home sharing about this little thing about hope. And so I'm going to go through this little ditty as I bring this to the final part. So, really, it's the hope of glory that we must have today. 
Hope comes from a Greek word, and this is what I got from that pastor's message. And um, I put it right here in the middle of this, which is better translated. Um, not just hope. And actually, I went back to the Strong's to the Greek and everything else just to find out for sure. The exact translation should be for hope. Expectant pleasure. Expectant pleasure. That's the true Greek term. If you rephrase it into the English from definition, check this out. This is where his term comes from. It's a passionate obsession. I like that. I always thought hope was kind of girly and cheesy. Hope. It's like a girl's name. I knew a girl named Hope in college. She's really sweet and cute. The word is not sweet and cute. It's passionate obsession. A passionate obsession. It's a wild man's word. It's aggressive. It's a longing. It's a yearning. It's a burning. It's an intimacy, an aching. Hope is passionately obsessed with an external reality that God said He will. Hope. It gets even better. Hope of glory, the term hope of glory, was used in the Bible a couple times. Romans 5.2 uses it. Ephesians 1.12 uses it. You can look those up later. But I want to share with you Colossians 1.27. And all those are really cool. This is my favorite though. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, I'm going somewhere with this evangelism talk. Inside of each one of us is the very hope of glory coming. We need glory to come. We should hope for glory to come so that we can even be driven. We can be imparted to and see God move around us. And we didn't even know it, but when the Holy Spirit came inside of us and we became believers, hope resided in us. It is literally the hope of all creation. The Bible goes on to say in Romans 8, 9, 8 19, that all of creation is eagerly yearning and awaiting the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. I believe the reason why is because they know when we are revealed, He will be revealed in us. The hope of glory will hit all of eternity. Let revelation start now. God reveal in us who we really are. God reveal to the world through us who you really are. Do you get what I'm saying? Hope is cool. Hope of glory. It's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. All of a sudden we realize that inside of this hope, when the glory inside of us is revealed, when God takes that moment to spark inside of us, what is inside of us, the ability, the power, the presence, and even when He comes and He has interaction with us daily, He stirs up that hope. That gives us the ability to pray, go, share, and even encourage each other. He gives us the ability to pray like breathing. He gives us the, go, the ability to go as we go. Matthew 10, 9 and 10 says, or 7 through 10 says, as you go preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely it's been given to you. Sounds familiar? Freely it's been given to you. Freely give it away. It's not hard to give it away because grace has been imparted in you through your relationship in Christ, through that salvation walk. Now, go give grace away freely through the relationship. I'm going to finish. I'm sorry. I've gone long. How do we share? All kinds of ways. Testimony, track, action, kindness, friendship, arts, creative, technology, whatever. Marvin K. Moody, just go now. I mean, Dr. Zeus wrote it right. Just know this. We must speak. 
the message so that they can hear the gospel because they will never believe. A friend of mine, Andy, I did not share the gospel with him quite a few years ago. God told me to share with him, and I'll never forget getting the call from a friend who said, Hey, man, you know Andy so-and-so? I'm like, yeah. A week later, this happened. Yeah. I'm getting ready to go talk to him about Jesus. It's too late, man. He died. Died in a car accident. Car pinned him to a wall when he was working at his job. Do it before it's too late. But we found in reality it takes like seven interactions for someone to come to know Jesus. They don't get the first, they'll never get the seventh. We found it's hardest in close relationships. We found it's almost impossible in, in passing interaction without divine intervention. It's a 90% most effective thing in close relationships we found, which is a good thing. It only takes hold when the Christian body receives the person when they come in from a friendship and when the Christian body seeks to further relationship as they're in. It's got to make them return family member. Luke 14.23 says we've got to make them come. Make in Greek means to necessitate, to constrain, to compel by impulse, make it compulsory, which means it's mandatory and required. Drag them in. That implies determination, dedication, desperation, and devotion. I tell you what will pe- drag people in here today. Love, presence of God, relevance, worship, contact and interaction with God himself when they come, and connection with others when they come. Read one story, and I'm going to read you a poem. And I promise we're done after that, if that's okay with you all. Sorry this is a little long. Keith Miller gives a good illustration of going beyond our emotions to do his right. In his book, Habitation of Dragons, he shares that one day he was sitting out on the front porch of his home watching his young daughter ride her tricycle down the driveway. He asked himself the question, what would I do if my daughter was about to be hit by a truck as she rode into the street? The answer came, of course, I'd rush out into the street and save her, even if it cost my very life. Then Miller thought, but what if it was the little snotty-nosed boy down the street who cusses me and throws sticks at my kids? The answer came back again. I'd still save him, even if it cost me my life. Keith wouldn't do it because of a deep emotion, but out of a sense of God's presence, his will, and what was right. I'm not asking you to be emotional to compel him to come. I'm asking you to be too, to be driven, devoted, and compelled to make it your devotion. Make it who you are to choose. I wrote a poem last night. I want to read it to you if that's okay. I've titled it Compelled. By the way, can I finish also saying that this sermon, the reason why I had to finish it is because I was trying to go to bed last night and God wouldn't let me sleep. I had a different sermon to preach today. At about 1.30 in the morning, this came. I was done at 2.02. Today I awoke in such a dark place, the groaning, the stench, this burning death state. Is my own doing, I thought while alive, one choice undecided was made when I died. I wish I had listened when friends had come by. I wish I had given Christ Jesus my life. 
Yet today is too late, tomorrow awaits, my eternity selected, determined, my fate. The grave now is filled with daughters and sons, someone's sister, someone's father, someone's enemy, another's love. If hellfire is burning and the worm does not die, where were all the preachers when we were alive? Where are all the believers? Who is this true life? Will they be revealed now or will all men die? So please go and tell them, please drag them to Christ, please drive them to know him. Go show them the light. Today I'm asking you to show. I'm asking you to go. I'm asking you to, to devote your life to speaking the eternal words of life to people. I'm asking you to be compelled, not by emotion, but by decision, and to drag, to compel to draw them into not safety and fire insurance when they're gone. There's something much greater. Life while they're here. Amen. I can't wait for the day to y'all go bungee jump with me over a pond in South Africa. Because it was during those weeks that we led so many people to Jesus. We saw a little teeny small campus ministry go from a couple so when we evangelize through the power of God, listen, he did miracles. Only miracles can do this kind of stuff. Only the God of great power can do this kind of stuff. But I remember it was neat because we came to the meeting. We thought, well, who's going to be there? We've just been sharing prophetic words and speaking to people and praying for people to be healed. No big deal. Just stuff we do. Came to the meeting and it went from like five people on that campus that were believers to like 500. The room was packed out. We couldn't hardly get in. I'm like, oh my gosh. And they were all early. And listen, it was the same night as there was a rugby game on campus. And you know what everybody said? They said that we didn't know it, but we had, unbeknownst to us, truly led the whole rugby team to Jesus. <laughs> so they played and told all their friends not to attend, but to go hear us. Because God had come to the campus, right? <laughs> Jesus. We've got to preach. It's fun. It's not hard. All you have to do Stay in relationship to your Jesus and listen and allow Him to walk you through doors in men's life. If you're looking, doors will open. People come up and go, Hey, I just feel sick today. Can I pray for you? Hey, I'm just sad inside. What's, what's eating at you? Hey, I'm, 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 I, I contemplated suicide. Stop. Jesus loves you. You are loved. Do you get what I'm saying? They present themselves all the time. We just don't recognize opportunities. So as we bow our heads today and we go in prayer, I want to ask you this morning, number one, if anybody doesn't know Jesus, as we close our heads and bow our heads, I mean close our eyes and bow our heads, I want to do this right now. You've heard the gospel. You know now that sin is eternal. It's a reality and that we're all destined for hell. Should we not choose Jesus who can bridge the gap between us and God, I want to challenge you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, to, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, pray with me right now. This is not a solves-all prayer. Actually, Christian life is a little tougher in the beginning than being just out in the world. But I want to challenge you this morning, if you want Jesus, if you want to accept Him as Lord and Savior, this is your moment. If something is burned inside of you, your gut still burning, your chest still heavy, 
you feel sin, you remember things, you know that you've never become a believer right now, it's your time. This is the start of a relationship, so pray with me right now. You can just repeat, out, just repeat to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, right now I want you to come into my heart. I want you to cleanse me and forgive me for all my sins. Now you may want to name off a couple real quick. This, this, and this. Hidden stuff. This, this, and this. Got to give you all of this. And now repeat. God, I give you all of me. Everything I am. Forgive me of my sin. And wash me by your blood. White as snow. Lord, I choose now to follow you. I will no longer follow myself. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. Own all of me. And now, God, through sanctification, through your act on the cross, make me a new person. Make me like you. May all the things of my past life die here and be buried at your cross. And now may I be washed fresh, clean, and new inside. Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to love you. Jesus, I want to walk with you all of my days. I want to hear your voice. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be your friend. And I want you to be my God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for making me new again. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and loving me today. And thank you, Jesus, for leaving your Holy Spirit to stay with me forever and ever. And thank you, Father, for sending your Son. I'm going to come be with you someday. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, if you're a believer in here, I want to encourage you to do something different. I want to encourage you to pray another prayer. Very simple. It's only a few words. It's this. Dear Jesus, drive me. Drag me. Love me. Make me love others more than myself. And make me love you most of all. Show me opportunities. And make me speak. Make me act. Help me go. It's only by your spirit, by your power, by your mind, that I can do this. In Jesus' name I pray.